I'm at home, phone rings, pick up the phone. Is this Dries? Dries? This is Drez. And I knew who it was. This is Leo Cohen. Listen, we have a limousine on the way to pick you up. They said, we're going to sign you here at Def Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on, dude. Like, So have you heard our music? Pause. I hear it's phenomenal. <laughs> Eric comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, a podcast where we tell stories from the legends of the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode, we'll bring you interviews from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. On this episode, we talk to Drez, one half of the group Black Sheep. They set records and had enormous success in the 90s alongside their friends in the Native Tongues crew. You have definitely heard their music and have definitely never heard a story like the one you're about to hear. Many people familiar with the music of Black Sheep know that their music was jazzy and fun. It was barely hardcore, if at all, and created a lane for highly lyrical hip-hop about everyday life. One of the most interesting things about Drez is that if there was ever a recipe for a hardcore rapper's upbringing, it would be his. I was born in uh, Queens General Hospital. That's in uh, Queens, New York. And both my parents are from the Bland Projects in Flushing, Queens. My mom was 17 when she got pregnant with me. My father was like an upcoming heroin dealer. He had about 13 brothers and sisters, so it was a big family, big the Vargas family in Flushing. The year I was born, my parents got an apartment in Astoria, Queens, in uh, Astoria Projects. Alongside names like Marcy and Queensbridge, Astoria Projects makes the list of the most notorious housing projects in New York history. It was probably pretty dangerous, but I kind of grew up in it, so it was like I, you know, like the danger was, you know, like my good friends. It was at a time when there was a lot of fighting, whereas, you know, like I, fighting was, you know, like just kind of came with the territory. Like I had fights all the time, and sometimes against friends, and you'd be friends again. Like, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't. This was like before, you know, cats were afraid to have a fight. The fights in action on the street extended to his home life. My father became a little bit abusive, I think, uh, as him and my mom kind of, you know, as she got older. I think, you know, like it was cool when she was 17, 18, where she was a child, but I think more so when she was 21, 22 and starting to become her own person. My father, I, I, he was probably was damn near a pimp. Like women loved him to death, always different women in his life is, you know, but he was married to my mom. And when they eventually separated, the drama didn't stop. My mom and dad, like, you know, this is when they were breaking up. They weren't quite there yet. So, you know, everything to him was like, you know, like, the fact that they're breaking up, you know, there's got to be another man there's somewhere, this, that, and the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. So one day he comes, you know, kind of un- unannounced, I guess, and my mom wouldn't let him in. I, she might have had company. I'm not even sure. Like, you know, like, you know, she's at the point where she's starting to date and this, that, and the other, but my father's extremely volatile, so my father pops up, comes to the door. She won't open the door. So that just drives him insane. Like, oh, if you don't open this door, my kids in this and the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, do not open this door. I'm like, all right, cool, I'm not gonna open the door. You know, he's bugging, he's banging on the door, banging on the door, then it stops. And we're on the second floor, like it's like the first floor, second floor, it's like the lobby, first floor, second floor. So like, we're, 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 we're up, you know what I'm saying? And I look and my father is at the window he climbed up the building. <laughs> there was no ladder. There was nothing. He climbed like up the first window to the second window, next to the window, to the next window. Yeah. So I'm like, va, that's at the window. <laughs> 
comes, she comes running, grabs me, moves me to the side, and is just ready to start cursing him out. And he falls. Yeah, he was, he was hurt. He was pretty, he was hurt. Yeah, he was hurt. The level of determination that would drive a man to climb a building had an impact on Dre's. But it wasn't the only example of going the distance he would witness. His mom put herself through college and raised him literally at the same time. I'd be playing in the park and she had a window, but you know, like, like she's kind of structured me where she could see me from her class, you know what I'm saying? And I probably had to be about eight, nine years old, you know what I'm saying? But she's taking class at NYU and I'm playing in the park across the street. With this big city, fast paced upbringing, New York was the entire world. That's until his mother and her new husband moved the family to the South. They were headed to Fayetteville, North Carolina, a world very different from Queens. So the first day I get to Fayetteville, you know, and it's this white kid that says it, you know what I'm saying? And he's like, hey boy, what's your name? Boy, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and that was it, like that was it. Like he was the one that I had to fight off the door. I was like, you know, like, hey boy. And mind you, like at this point in my life, Bruce Lee was probably the quintessential black sheep in my life. You know what I'm saying? So before he knew what was happening, I literally had my footprint clean, clean on his cheek. He didn't mean it. He didn't like, but I didn't know it at this moment. I didn't know it at this moment. And so, you know, but, but, and to his credit, he had hands. Like every summer, you know, like I'm trying to get out of Carolina for sure. Like I didn't really like it like that. I, I grew to have a deep appreciation for it. You know what I'm saying? And I had some, definitely had some fun times. But I was a New Yorker, you know what I'm saying? Like, I missed New York. Carolina was really slow to me. And I come, you know, home to my grandmother's and my cousin, Frankie F., who were going to be my road manager. F has two turntables and, you know, a handful of records, you know, five minutes of fun, uh, Curtis Blow joint. And this is at my grandmother's crib, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, like, yo. It ain't take but a second, and I'm, like, finessing it, like, yo, showing them, like, yo. Like, I think that's the summer, like, I, I snuck into the encore. Got to see um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and the Kango Kid from UTFO was their dancer. But I'm in the encore, which is kind of like... At the time, it was like a dressy disco-ish spot. You know what I'm saying? But I'm in there on some b-boy shit because I just wanted to see the show that night. So it was either that summer, either that summer or the summer after that Suck MCs came out. Because I remember that summer as well. You know, like that shit was just like, oh my God. Like, you know, like Suck MCs, like you could hear it coming out of a car, you know, as it turns onto the street and you just hear this beat. And you know, then going by you. years ago, a friend of mine asked me to say some MC rhymes. So I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The rhyme was there, but then it went this way. And it seemed like that was happening like every other five blocks. This car. Like it was like hitting everybody. Everybody at the same time. And the whole city was like, oh shit. Like the game changed. Like, like, like the game had just changed. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, Yo, I gotta do this. Dress had to go back to North Carolina after every summer in New York and leave behind the hip-hop he was falling in love with. But it's funny how when you want something so bad, sometimes it shows up in the most unlikely places. For Drez, his destiny had to route him through North Carolina, where he would eventually meet a very young Mr. Long, the man who would go on to create the rap group Black Sheep with Drez. I give introduction. Of Drez and Mr. Long, a newfound baby sound production. My senior year in high school, I meet my man Stan. See, me and Stan are in the same age, so we're in high school together. He's from the Bronx. 
it turns out that he has equipment at his house. And I'm like, get out of here. You got equipment? So I go to his house one day. He's got turntables. He's got mics. He's got uh, everything able to be recorded on cassette. You know, everything's set up, kind of destructed. This little mini kind of studio. He's got a little Dr. Rhythm machine, drum machine. And he's got the coolest mom out of everybody. We could smoke our little blunts and drink 40s at his crib. So needless to say, every day, that's where I was. Like, religiously, every day after school, you know, like that was the meeting place. Whatever plans we had kind of branched from there. This little dude used to be coming through, used to be coming through, and he'd jump on a, literally jump on a milk crate and start cutting, and was dumb nice, and that was long. That was his little man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's my little man, this and the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was me being introduced to Long through my man Stan. You know what I'm saying? But he was just vicious as far as the, 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 the DJ he was. And so that year, my whole senior year, I spent time around them. And hip-hop became their lifestyle. They ate, slept, and breathed it. It was fun, it was hard work, but it just felt natural. We literally did this every day for a year, so we were dope. Like, I didn't need anybody to tell me we were dope. Or, or I, and I didn't need to rhyme in front of people that didn't know what the music was to tell me what they thought about it. Remember, this was still early in mainstream hip-hop. It was definitely a passion for the guys in Stan's room, but it wasn't a viable career path. Upon finishing high school, Drez had to make some decisions about what he wanted to do next. Being a New Yorker at heart, he knew he wanted to go back. He also wanted to fill a gaping hole in his life. He needed to reconnect with his father. Yeah, I hadn't spoken to him in over nine years. I hadn't spoken to him or anyone on that side of the family for over nine years. So I just thinking I'm going to pop back up and, all right, Pop, I know you've been waiting for me to come back. I'm here. Let's do it. And they didn't play like that. After nearly a decade with his mom, mostly in North Carolina, Drez was in for a homecoming that would shock his senses. His new journey into the family business of crime would eventually jeopardize his future and actually could have altered the state of hip-hop as we know it. When we come back, life for Drez goes from one extreme to the next. And later, we're going to hear Drez talk about a close encounter with another hip-hop legend that could have ended violently. DJ Cool, and I'm here to tell you about a new stupid fly podcast I'm on called Headspin, the classic hip-hop trivia gamecast. Headspin! Come listen as two golden era gladiators compete head-to-head to see who will be victorious in their knowledge of completely useless hip-hop trivia. Headspin! The winner will go home with cold hard cash, while the loser will be forced to spin the dreaded hip-hop wheel of consequences. Headspin premieres June 30th with new episodes every Wednesday after. Make sure to subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts and follow at Headspin Game Show to get in on the action. Headspin, the only classic hip-hop gamecast. Headspin! Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When Drez graduated high school and decided to move back to New York, he knew it was going to be time to work. He reached out to his father, who Drez knew to be a respected and connected drug dealer in Queens to help him get started. It was my ambition to hustle with my dad, who I thought was, by now, was definitely a kingpin of all of Queens. But Drez immediately realized things were different. His father had turned over a new leaf and was no longer in pursuit of taking over the drug gang. To find out that he was a Jehovah Witness and hadn't been that dude for a lot of years blew my mind. But that didn't stop Drez, nor did it stop the love and good faith Drez's father was able to accumulate over the years. He had a lot of people that had goodwill towards him from the street. You know what I'm saying? So for them to see me after not seeing me in years, they, they already knew who I was. Rico's son. We already know, you know, like, there's any, what can I, you know, anything I kind of needed was there for me. So Drez got to work. He was a street kid on his way to street success. He hustled on the same blocks he grew up on, the same place where he found his determination and hard work. He was the type of person who would probably be successful at whatever he chose. And he chose the streets. More than anything, I just wasn't making good decisions and was willing to compromise my values internally to be able to afford how I wanted you to see me. Those bad decisions and compromises had consequences. New York in this era was about to get really tough on crime. This is when crack was really being introduced to New York and New York starts this task force called TNT to combat the crack epidemic. So I probably was one of the first 500 people arrested by TNT. And for dealing? Yeah, direct sale, possession. Yeah. And the people around him thought it would be better for him to skip bail and run. The crew I ran with, like they were big boys. Like they were big boys to the to the tune of Supreme Team and all that. So when I get arrested, these are my friends that bailed me out. Like, yo, I think my bail was like only five thousand at the at the time, you know what I'm saying? But five thousand to somebody on the street was paper, but it wasn't no paper to us because we were seeing paper. So I go down south, I get caught up on some bullshit down south and get extradited back to New York. You know, they flew me in shackles back to New York, put me in a green Audi, took me to Rikers Island. And now since I jumped bail, I have no bail. You know what I'm saying? So I have to do my whole court case from Rikers Island. You know what I'm saying? This is 1987 when Coogee Rap dropped Rikers Island. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like it's desert. Like I'm on it 10 months. You know what I'm saying? The politics of New York happen in, in the jail. And, you know, cats I know on the street that are doing things that I could be held accountable for type shit is going on. Like, like real stuff is happening. I remember being on Rikers Island, looking out the bars, snowing, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, snow coming down. I'm looking out the bars, freezing in my cell. And I remember saying to myself, and this is what I reflect back to, anytime I'm about to do some ridiculously stupid shit, is me saying to myself, yo... I'd rather be butt naked in Times Square right now in the snow than be here. And I was lucky that I was one of the first to kind of go through this. So they didn't really know exactly what was happening yet on the streets as far as how to address it. So I was able to get myself into a halfway house as opposed to going up north. The whole objective was for me 
to get in school and to find a job. I got into school, I got in college, I found a job working with a federal agency that worked with the homeless, and I found my first apartment. This is where destiny comes full circle. Dress had been born in the projects, moved to North Carolina away from hip-hop, and moved back to New York to hustle and got sent to prison. What he couldn't have known is that he was still only getting started. I'm in my apartment maybe a few days, coming from lunch on my job, walking down the street. Who do I pass? Mr. Long. Get out of here. What's going on, man? We start chopping it up. How you been, man? Talking, yo, I'm good. You know, like, yo, what you up to? Yo, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do this music thing or something. I'm like, yo, get out of here. You still doing that shit? Like, you know, like, wow. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you know, so where you living? He's like, yo, I'm in Brooklyn with my aunt, her man, and their kid in a studio apartment. I'm like, oh shit. I said, yo, listen, I just got my own apartment. I said, give me one week to live in it. Just give me a week to live in it. I said, you can come crash with me. The next week, Long comes up, he's got his turntables, records, and I'm like still blown away, like, oh shit. Like you, yo, you kept doing this shit too? Like, yo. Brings all of this stuff in and he starts, you know, showing me different ideas he's having and had this and the other. I don't want to start bringing him around my friends because those are the friends that, you know, like, like, he isn't even really equipped for it anyway, and I'm trying to stay away from all of that. So I start going around the cast he's met over the last few years, which is Red Alert. Red's introduced him to Jungle Brothers. Jungle Brothers introduced him to Daylight Tribe. hasn't even come out yet, you know what I'm saying? But we meet, I'm meeting Tip and everybody just before they even came out. They kind of could look at me and, like, you know, like I'm like a hustler's attire and stuff like that. And, like, they could tell I didn't want nothing from them and shit like that, which I think made it cool. Drez and Mr. Long knew they were onto something. They were used to going to the studio with the Native Tongues crew. Artists like De La Soul, A Tribe Called Quest, and Queen Latifah would all be sitting around writing rhymes. It wasn't long until Drez and Mr. Long, who didn't look like the rest of the crew, owned who they were. They had seen how these guys were getting on and taking music seriously. Kind of once we made the decision to make a demo. Um, that was us kind of making a decision to be partners because I literally had a bunch of jewelry. I go pawn, pawn my jewelry to send the other, give Long half the money right there. And was like, yo, we're partners from here on. Right? Like, whatever we do, we're partners with it. They took that money and recorded a demo. One of the first songs they made sampled today by Jefferson Airplane. Today. They layered that sample with a break beat and some sound effects. Drez rhymed on top of it and created Similac Child. Long, over there, over there, look at bumps from the time that she was born. She was raised to be all that. Gave her no food. Why? Strictly Similac. First people we played for is the natives. Because, like, really, that's really all I ever was concerned with. I was like, if we can impress these dudes, everyone else, you know, like, falls behind that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we play it for everybody, but it's only when it gets to red... And Funk and Klein, Funk and Klein work with Red. Funk makes some calls to different labels. We get the chance to take meetings with different labels, playing them on demo. And, and that's when they landed in the office of one big time gatekeeper. They were about to pitch the notorious Def Jam executive, Lior Cohen, and it was a lot to handle. Cohen wanted them to know he was a big deal. Like literally it was like, uh, no, no, I can't listen to this for like it was March, like it'll be June, it'll be June before I can, you know, just shits on us, this any other. So I, I pick up the demo, I break out. I'm like, now nah, by then we'll be signed. I break out and he's like really just a dick. And he's making a point, he's talking to somebody on the phone and just making sure that I see who he is. No, fuck that. You tell this fuck Slick Rick, 
tell Slick Rick to kiss my ass. And I'm like, oh, this dude is really like, like I already see it. Like, oh, I would stab him. Like, so we really wanted to be a Def Jam, but to see him in action and for him to tell us, like, you know, I can't listen to this for another couple of months. Like, we're standing right here. You can put it on right now while you're fronting on whoever you're fronting on. But no. So Def Jam seemed like it was off the table until. It's like the next day or the day after. I'm at home, phone rings, pick up the phone. It's just Dries, Dries. This is Drez. And I knew who it was. This is Leo Cohen. Listen, we have a limousine on the way to pick you up. They said, we're going to sign you here at Def Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on, dude. Like, So have you heard our music? Pause. I hear it's phenomenal. <laughs> I hear it's amazing. We're going to sign you here. The limousine is on its way. I was like, yo, you can tell the limousine to turn around. We're good, man. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. But we're straight. After they turned down one of the biggest execs in hip-hop history, they eventually landed meetings with Mercury Polygram. Dave Gossett and Lisa Cortez, who are from Def Jam. <laughs> we're now working at Polygram. I think they gave us a demo deal initially. It was cool because it was money. You're going to give us money to go to the studio? Cool. But now we get to go where Dayla and everybody's recording. Now we get to go to Calliope and work with the engineers that we now know and everything. And Def Jam's Lior Cohen wasn't the only exec in town who wanted Drez and Mr. Long. Dante Ross ran up on me one day like, yo, you signed yet? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we just signed. He's like, yo, I wanted to sign you so bad, like I'm with Arista. You know what I'm saying? So like, the cats knew who we were and, and, and definitely it was there for us. But I think very intentionally, we wanted to sign with Mercury because they had no current rap roster. And they've got rock and roll money. They've got money. They're a major label. All right, they can afford to do the things that we're going to ask them to do. So with the force of a record label behind them, they were ready to cook up in the studio alongside their peers and the Native Tongues crew. We're down with these cats who are all amazing. How do we be amazing amongst them? without taking from any of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of what we had to figure out. When we were kind of looking at us putting our name, you know, being who we were, like, you know, like, I remember the conversation with Long, like, you know, like, like look at these guys. Like, we're kind of the black sheep of these dudes. Like, you know, how we dress, you know, the fact that, you know, we I do have jewelry or this and the other. Like, you know, like, we're definitely the black sheep of this crew. And even though Black Sheep was a little more hood aesthetically and Drez certainly had the credibility to be an all-out gangster rapper if he wanted, he chose a different path. I just came out of 10 months on Rikers Island, 10 months in the halfway house, and the next year I'm getting a chance to put a record out. There's nothing that I'm going to speak of out of where I'm coming from that's worth glorifying. None of it. None of it. If anything, it's for me to kind of try to help you to get around it. I don't think I was driven to be like the best MC, but I was driven to be like the Beatles, like just a good songwriter. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't look at my skill set as dominant as a KRS, but I did look at my ability to write a song as strong as Simon and Garfunkel's. After being dealt a new hand with a partner in music, a record deal, and an elite crew of MCs, Drez had what he needed to make his mark. They were about to record one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time and make history in more than a few ways. But there's always temptation to revert back to your old ways and Drez is no exception. This new world would test his gangsta and put him at odds with another pioneer in hip-hop. After the break, the album, 
the tour, the fame, and Drez tells a story he's never shared about a serious confrontation with the legendary large professor. Listen, nobody cares when the War of 1812 was fought or how many states there are in the U.S. We all know that there are 52, I think. What we really care about is which famous gangster rapper actually started as a backup dancer or how many ladies per capita love Cool James. This is Magic Most, host of the new classic hip-hop gamecast, Headspin, brought to you by Stupid Fly. Our first show launches on Wednesday, June 30th, but you can subscribe today. Headspin, the world's first and greatest golden era hip-hop gamecast. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Drez and his partner, Mr. Long, had acquired a demo deal with Mercury Polygram, which allowed them to start on their album. At the time of this recording, the process of making a song is fairly easy by comparison. While we have phones that can be used as simple studios, the early 90s took way more creativity, especially for writing on the go. Yeah, and they'd be these kind of home-crafted versions of of what would be, you know, it might not just be a loop or this and the other, but I'm like, I'd go to Washington Square Park and I'd literally sit and I'd see a young uh, Dave Chappelle working with Charlie Barnett. And he would take all that creativity and inspiration and put it into his lyrics. Those lyrics over the jazzy, energetic tracks produced by Mr. Long created their unique sound. They would take that sound to Calliope Studios, where the Native Tongues crew had set up shop and cranked out classics left and right. The vibe in the studio was electric. And you're like, oh my God, that shit is fucking insane. Like, yo, it was a dope, dope time, man. And it extended beyond there. We go to clubs together. Like, we're all in a club together, you know what I'm saying? And after the club, we might all go back to Calliope and record. That was the energy and collection of experiences that led up to the Black Sheep debut album, A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. Yeah, the album had came out and uh, yeah, the first single was Flavor of the Month. People really, really, really liked the single. I heard you got the fever for the flavor. I heard you got the fever for the flavor. I heard you got the fever for the flavor. Somebody said you had it going on. And I thought Flavor of the Month, honestly, was going to be this tremendous, tremendous, tremendous single. It was cool. I would say moderately, maybe a little bit more than moderately successful. I think that the, the, the record that was successful in that slot was OPP. OPP had just came out as well. If OPP hadn't came out right then, 
Flavor would have been a much bigger single. Their own much bigger single was soon to come. A song that they had created a year prior had been revamped with a bigger track and bigger vocals. This song was The Choice Is Yours. They released it and it charted immediately. And they ended up performing on In Living Color, Arsenio Hall, and were the first hip-hop act on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Now, don't your hands in the air. First tour, we get the opportunity through Set to Run promotions. Dell, the Funky Homo Sapien, WC in the Mass Circle, Ice Cube in the Lynch Mob. Like, we were blown away because we're the only East Coast group on the tour, and we had a ball. I got a West Coast education on the road, like, you know what I'm saying? I remember shit like in D.C., you know, we're in the back of the venue where the buses are parked, and cats roll up on the lynch mob for their lynch mob jackets, guns out. No, 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 no. Like, like, niggas in the lynch mob have guns that they pull out of their jackets for their jackets. Like, so of course, you know, like it was a stalemate, you know what I'm saying? But they kept their jackets, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like, it's like we were getting bigger as the tour was going on too. So it was like, you know, like, so we come back to New York and that probably was like one of my top three favorite shows ever. Like at the Apollo, and I literally, with my eyes, saw the balcony shaking. Like I thought the balcony was going to break. And this wasn't the only memorable Harlem moment for Drez during this time. One night, he ran up on the rapper-producer, Large Professor. Drez says that the song Faking the Funk was a direct shot at him, and the proof was that Large Professor used a sample of Drez saying, Now listen in the song. No one in hip-hop knew he was talking about me, but I did. You know what I'm saying? And this is my word. Like, I confronted him on 145th and 8th. I literally blocked his car off on 145th and 8th right there at Willie Burgers, probably about 2, 3 in the morning, and got out my car. He's blocked, literally blocked at a red light, and go up to the window, and I'm like, yo, did you, did you put my voice... Oh, excuse me. What up, Akinelli? Yo, did you put my voice... <laughs> At two minutes and 50 seconds, and his eyes, you know, got bigger sources. And, you know, like, this is my word. Had he said yes, y'all, he was coming out that window. Like, without question, without a doubt in my mind, I was dragging him out the window on 145th Street and 8th. We was going to get it in. But he said no. And I'm, you know, like, looked at him, and I'm like, wait a minute. You didn't sample my voice? You didn't just, it doesn't say, now listen, now listen. He looked at me, and he said No. And at that point, you know, I felt like I would be a bully to drag him out the window. Like, I wanted him to be man enough to stand by his actions and we just get it in. And that he said no, I was like, you know what? Then you ain't nobody. All right. And I left it at that and I went and got back in my car. Drez is full of these types of stories. From what I gather... Rap in the 90s could be a hostile place. It could also be a place where you could excel past your expectations, if you know what to ask for. What I now know is whoever's at the top of the totem pole dictates the agenda. And so I now know when I got a chance to do Jay Leno, like if I do Saturday Night Live, you know, like I can tell them, you know, my agenda. But I didn't know, you know, like I didn't know that anything of the sort could be done. But nothing could be done about what happened next with the label. 
everyone who contributed to the success of the first album now had leverage. It was almost like a team that made the playoffs or championship that normally doesn't. Unless there's a commitment to the rebuilding of the team, half that team is going somewhere else next year for good money. This department, that department, like everybody that kind of was instrumental in the making of what we had went somewhere else for better money. Heading into the next album, the label and Drez embarked on something that had never been done in rap. They created a subsidiary label imprint for Drez to manage. Imprint labels like Shady and Rockefeller became household names in the early 2000s, but in the early 90s, Drez was first in line. I got an imprint called One Love. One Love, I bought out two groups, uh, The Legion and then this female group out of Oakland called Image. After convincing the execs at Polygram that these groups were going to be the next generation, he was given the task to present them with a publishing deal. Having gone through all this himself, he wanted it to be fair. He told them that they could sign if they wanted, but it might not be the best deal that they could negotiate. So both groups decided not to sign the deal. So I bring it back to Ed, like, yo, they're not signing. They don't, you know, I don't think that, I don't think it's a fair deal and they don't think it's a fair deal, but I didn't tell them what to do. You know, this is what they feel. To which Ed X signed, like, mind you, he did the remix of Image for a single. He comes back to me, instead of a counter offer, he's like, yo, I'm going to go ahead and drop Image. I don't really think they're that talented. Drops the Legion. Dropping both the acts slated to be released under Drez basically took him back to square one. Keep in mind that Black Sheep had been working on their sophomore album, Nonfiction, and while it had gotten done, it hadn't gone well. By this time, Drez and Mr. Long weren't seeing eye to eye. And our album comes out, and if you look on the spine of the Black Sheep album, it says Balk Sheep. At that point, I looked at Mr. Long, who I wasn't getting along with, looked back at the label, and was like, yo, I'm out. And who could blame him? He had been through the ringer and made it out on top only to be left hanging and humiliated by his label. I'm having a conversation with Eric Stein, having fully severed, and he says out of his own mouth, like, you know, I could have done better by you. Have you ever thought about making a movie out of your life? The next few years for Drez were all about rebuilding. He moved back to North Carolina for a little bit and began to figure out what it was like to be an independent artist. He would grind recording albums, featuring on records, and even reconnecting with Mr. Long from time to time. All this without much help from the industry who, unbeknownst to him, sort of envied him. I did an interview with Combat Jack before he passed, God bless him, um, and he was the lawyer for Jay, and um, you know, and the whole Rockefeller thing. He's like, yo, I've always wondered why Jay don't really mess with me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I always felt like we were cordial. Never had an issue with a Jay-Z or this, any other. And we know, you know, a lot of the same people. Like, Combat Jack, who was their lawyer, was my good friend. And so he was like, yo, Jay would never help you. I said, why? He's like, yo, when I was shopping Jay's deals, you know, like trying to get them signed, Rockefeller signed, he's like, he couldn't get a deal because everyone would say, He's good, but he's no dress. And I was like, you're fucking joking. Despite the issues with the label and his issues with Mr. Long, the Black Sheep legacy lives on. Their hit single, The Choice Is Yours, was featured in the iconic 2010 Kia commercial. And most recently, in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's amazing. Like, you know, like, it, like it's, it's a rebirth of sort. Like, every few years, The Choice Is Yours gets this rebirth. Like, I've never worried about being successful per se, because I always feel like it's fleeting. 
you know, it kind of goes back to being on Rikers Island New Year's Eve, like, you know what I'm saying, in the snow and like, like once you're broken and you're in the cell, you don't have the opportunity. But as long as you have the opportunity, then it's okay to be broke today. Because tomorrow you can take your butt naked ass out to Times Square <laughs> and sing a song. I definitely understand that it took everything for me to be here today. These days, you can find Drez on Instagram recapping his life in hip-hop and reconnecting with other legends from the golden era. As a staple in hip-hop history, he's still in demand and on stage around the world. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made great by the amazing DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett is an eye-dotting T-crossing ninja. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Art design by Michael Bonanno. Our music is by The Math Club. Be sure to follow us on social media, at Stupid Fly Media. And all of our day ones can head over to stupid-fly.com, where you can buy Stupid Fly merch and learn more about us. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however you listen. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of Fresh Era.